You're listening to Rooted, a podcast by the Association of Black Psychologists Student Circle. In this episode, the Midwestern Regional Rep Janelle Dixon calls in to talk to us about activism among black graduate students. Ashe. Hey everybody, welcome to the new episode, the third episode of Rooted, the Black Psychology Podcast. We're here with the Midwestern Regional Rep, Janelle Dixon. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Evan. Yes, so hello, everyone. My name is Janelle Dixon. I am now a fourth-year clinical psychology doctoral student at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm happy to be here. So thanks, Evan. Well, shout out to the to the DMV, right? Yes, big up <laughs> to the DMV, PG specifically. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> well, I guess um, I said before to Janelle before we even started the podcast, this topic is something that's really exciting to me. Um, we're talking about activism among black graduate students. So I have to ask right off the bat, you know, what made you so interested in this topic? Well, I guess I have to definitely take into account of where I was raised in the Washington, D.C. area. D.C. is a very political environment and culture. Um, so just throughout my upbringing, my parents made sure that it was really important that I learned about, you know, social justice issues and issues that related to the black community, um, the disparities that black people faced in general. Mm. So I think just growing up in the DC area, it really made me aware of those issues at a very young age. Um, and then also too, just from my own personal experiences with family members, I think maybe one of the original areas or domains of advocacy for me would be probably in the physical health field mm. and in regards to physical health um, and just seeing the disparities that individuals with disabilities face. And so from there, that's really where I developed my passion for helping others and probably one of the reasons why I got into psychology. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and that's an interesting, you know, bag to even get into like activism in psychology, but I think yes. to even, yeah, like to even frame the discussion though, I'm, I'm curious, like, so how do you define activism? So for me, I believe activism, it's a, it's a verb. It's mm. definitely an action. You know, today it's, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, it's so important to be woke and I'm woke. And that to me is very important. It's in, you know, being woke and understanding the different issues that are occurring um, in our social political climate, issues that are, um, you know, important in the black community, whether it's the police shootings, mm. um, issues in regards to the criminal justice system. Um, issues in regards to health disparities that black people face. You know, mm -hmm. being woke is important. 
but for me, active activism is about change. It's about, you know, doing something to help promote that social and political change. So whether it's going out to rallies, um, you know, volunteering, whatever your own definition of activism is, however you want to be involved in activism. But for me, activism is definitely um, a verb and it's an action. So it's doing. Wow. That's a fantastic, fantastic answer. This is why we had Janelle on to discuss this in particular, <laughs> because she comes with gems every single time. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, I mean, in your answer, uh, I think you kind of got at the heart of what makes activism so difficult for some people is that yes. there are so many different, you know, issues and problems that are worthy of, you know, people's full passions and their full energy. Like you talked about police brutality. You talked about the health disparities. And this is more than just in the U.S. You could go global and talk about all those things. And Absolutely. Exactly. And they're all like interconnected. So I feel like a lot of people have, you know, difficulty, um, you know, finding where exactly they want to give their full attention. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I, too, feel like I struggle with that as well. Um, because, you know, I do have that very helping spirit and that spirit of wanting to help others, wanting to heal others. And so when I feel people's pain, whatever, whatever different context it's in, it's like, oh my God, like I have to do something, but you're only but one person and you only have so much time and only have so much energy. So it is really important to know your own personal limits and delegate that energy and that time you know wisely so that way you don't experience burnout and for me I've even had to you know pull the reins back myself because I'm like oh my god like you know I have to help our disabled brother and sisters and I have mm. to help our LGBTQ brother and sisters and you know and you know of course I'm in forensics so it's yeah. like oh criminal justice reform like that's really important to me so it's just really important to maybe focusing your intention not in one particular thing, but just knowing your limits and being mm -hmm. cognizant of, you know, how much you're exerting. Yeah. And I'm actually happy you went there because my next question was going to be about how, you know, we, especially in the news right now, there are so many stories about how, you know, students uh, at every phase of education are at the forefront of so many of these movements. You know, you have yeah. the 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 high school students down in uh, Florida leading the, the, the movement in, with gun violence and you have you know, undergraduate students trying to rally against hate speech on their campuses. Um, so I'm curious, I guess, what's your experience uh, in grad school? Because sometimes we hear a little bit less about you know, graduate school students uh, leading activist movements. <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, so because I have been very passionate about social justice and social advocacy, um, I was very involved and very in tune with the last election mm. and the process. <laughs> um, and I was completely, completely disheartened and heartbroken over the results of that. And a lot of my colleagues were at school as well. And through that, along with one of our professors, we actually started a social justice group here out in Ohio. Oh, wow. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we created a group called Dayton Indivisible for All, or mm -hmm. DIFA for short. 
and it was developed to be an action-oriented group of social justice or social activists in the Dayton, Ohio area. And through following the National Indivisible Toolkit, mm -hmm. it was always envisioned that DEFA was to create a specific action items for members to participate in social activism mm -hmm. at the local and state level. Oh, wow. Okay. And, well, I guess, like, my follow-up is how do how do people do that, you know, because so often I think people try to, you know, maybe uh, go in these things alone almost, you know, raise issues uh, maybe with some of their friends, but uh, don't always have the connections necessary to start like their own group. So how are you able to do that? Right. So it's just so funny how this process even started. So as I mentioned, um, Dayton Indivisible for All it was created with the foundation of Indivisible. And for people who are interested in learning more about Indivisible, you can go to indivisible.org to learn more. Mm. But essentially, Indivisible, it's a nationwide movement of thousands of volunteer-led local groups that engage in progressive advocacy and electoral work at the local, state, and the national level. So there are indivisible groups across the entire country. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and the way that we developed it is literally right after the election, um, we were in our forensic psychology course, and we were just like sitting there in awe of what happened. And to be honest, enraged. And so we were like, okay, we have to do something. There's something that we must do. We need to um, fight at the local level here in Ohio, here in Dayton. Um, everyone, I'm sure, is aware of how important Ohio is when it comes to elections mm -hmm. with it being a swing state. Um, and so we just, we wanted to take action, you know? So that's a whole part of that activism piece. And so we Googled and we were looking for maybe groups to join. And that's when we became aware and informed of Indivisible. Mm -hmm. And so we thought like, well, you know, why don't we just create our own little group? And we had wow. no idea how big it was going to become. Wow. And so that was Indivisible.org, right? Yeah, Indivisible.org. Okay, so we'll definitely have a link uh, down below this podcast for anybody interested in that. And... Yeah, I guess the follow-up is, you know, like you mentioned, with the election, I think everybody had this. Well, unfortunately, not everybody, but a lot of people had these really heart-wrenching reactions to the results of the election and, you know, kind of felt powerless in the moment. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like, what in your experience, like, how did, uh, you know, Indivisible, dot, uh, Indivisible and the organization that you, you helped to create in, in Dayton, Ohio, how did that help, you know, either, you know, make you feel empowered or, you know, feel like you were making a difference? How, how did that, uh, what, what was that experience like? Um, it was an amazing experience creating DIFA, uh, Dayton Indivisible for All, mm -hmm. um, because we had no idea how big and how momentous the impact of creating it would be. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, we were in class, and the class literally consisted of myself and four other grad students and a professor mm -hmm. and we literally just sat there and we contemplated and we put our minds together and we said how are we going to make effective change and through that small idea we created the facebook group so that's where it really started mm -hmm. um and then we you know sent in our information to indivisible.org 
And through that, we now have almost 1,500 members in DIFA mm-hmm. in the Dayton, Ohio area. Wow. Yeah, and we have social media platforms. We were highlighted on Rachel Maddow's show oh, on wow. CNN. Yeah, so through one of our tweets. So we've definitely, we hit the ground running. And to be honest, it was very overwhelming at first because we were like, what do we get ourselves into? You know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're doctoral students. We have dissertations to do. We have other classes, clinical practicums, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. But it was just such a rewarding experience to know that we were able to um, create change and to have um, individuals, to have a group or community members in Ohio come together to make positive change for the community um, and to also hold our elected officials accountable, mm, to know, true. to let them know that we're pissed off and you need to make change, the change that we want to see that's going to be the betterment uh, for the country and for the state specifically in Ohio. Wow. And that sounds beautiful. Uh, it sounds incredible. Um, and I guess I'm also curious, you mentioned some of the impacts. Would you like to highlight, I guess, some of your uh, some of your uh, things that you're most proud of that you've done with the, uh, the organization? Um, so once again, one of the, I guess, one of our biggest moments was being highlighted uh, on Rachel Maddow. True. Um, and sure. right. I mean, it's kind of like, I you know, like I've been watching Rachel Maddow for years <laughs> and so to create a group and then to have one of our tweets being highlighted on, uh, her show showing how we're holding our governor accountable, um, through a local town hall meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was just incredible, um, to know that I was able to, help assist with that. Um, We've also assisted with various rallies. One of the most notable, of course, being um, the Women's March. Mm, So that was something else that we were really um, involved with as well. And the list goes on, but those are probably two of the most notable. And I mean, to follow up immediately, I know, uh, you know, sometimes people feel, I know among some psychology grad students I know, sometimes people feel almost, you know, powerless. They don't feel like the discipline equips them to advocate uh, in, in the political sphere. And uh, given that, you know, we're on the student circle platform, you know, the student circle emerged from, I think it was in 19, might have been 69, where they, a bunch of students stormed the stage at APA in a, in a display of activism, you know, to raise awareness for, uh, you know, black mental health. And so I guess, like, how do you think your discipline, you know, the fact that you're a psychology grad student specializing in forensics, you know, how does your discipline enable you to uh, better your activism? I think that's a great question. I think the field of psychology still has a long ways to go in regards to advocacy. Um, I know, especially being a graduate student who is specializing in forensic psychology, um, I've noticed that it's been very difficult to find resources, to find articles in regards to advocacy in the context of uh, psychology. And I know specifically remembering um, an article, and for the life of me, I cannot remember the name or the title, so forgive me. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, just... (laughs) We'll find the article and we'll throw it down so people know what we're talking about. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
There's so many articles. So many articles. <laughs> <laughs> but um, basically, I remember specifically reading about how a lot of psychologists are even concerned or worried about being very vocal in the context of the social political atmosphere mm. of our country. Um, the fear of, you know, being judged per perhaps or taking political sides and the consequences that that can take on in regards to your career. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the literature definitely stated that despite those um, concerns, it's still very important because once again, the field of psychology, we're in the business of helping others, mm -hmm. of advocating for people, advocating for mental health. And in order to help people, um, we have to be advocates, you know, we have to be those voices for the people who don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, I think you see one of the, uh, I mean, one of the reasons that I'm a fi fan of, you know, ABCI and the work they do is I think they put out that statement, right? Uh, yes. Uh, it was a, a few months ago, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Talking about the psychological terrorism that was going on with the with the Trump regime. So Absolutely. I loved it. I loved it. I, Mama Huberta is doing such an amazing job with that. Exactly. So I think you could see like the role that psychologists can can play and like kind of you, you spoke to like the responsibility given the fact that we do care about mental health and well-being, you know, to advocate for that in in all respects. Absolutely. And even in that answer, I think you referenced um, you know, a, a way back in the podcast about how fatiguing could also be, you know, it's it's the work is beautiful, but at the end of the day. It can be draining. So I'm curious, you know, while you're doing all this important work, uh, how do you take care of yourself? That is a great point uh, that you brought up, Evan. And one of my favorite analogies in regards to social advocacy is the analogy of, you know, the oxygen mask mm -hmm. in claims, right? Mm -hmm. And so when, you know, there's ever possibly an emergency the oxygen mask will come down and you have to put on your mask before you help someone else and I think that's a perfect analogy for activism because as beautiful as the work is and as helpful that we can be as activists we can't help other people unless we help ourselves first and so if you're experiencing fatigue you have to be cognizant and aware and mindful of your own personal limits and I think that's something that I have definitely tried to force myself to do knowing what my own personal limits are and knowing what when it's okay to say no um, because if we burn ourselves out to the point where we can't go on anymore then that's when you know our work we can't we can no longer actually participate in the work and participate in the movement so just knowing your own personal limits and i think another self-care thing to help you as an advocate and something that i have experienced is having that support system so whether it's your family your friends or your professors or your therapist i think that was one of the things that i loved about um season two of Dear White People, and they were showing Reggie and therapy. I thought that was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's something that we need to have more conversations about in the black community um, and also promote more. Um, 
and reduce that stigma of seeking help when it comes to mental health because as we know mental health is just as important as physical so seeking out those resources um, to help you with your self-care as being an advocate so those are kind of the ways of you know engaging in self-care and preserving your own mental and emotional state while being an advocate that's beautiful um wow uh going off i guess the last thing that you said talking about you know reggie being in therapy i thought it was uh really interesting how they framed it as you know reggie being this young black man dealing with you know you know the ptsd of uh almost being shot by the police officer uh spoilers for anybody who didn't watch season one sorry Uh, Uh, and like in the, di- the therapeutic diet was him uh, opposite a, you know, very much older white man who yes. really <laughs> didn't share that experience. And in that, I think that leads to the next question is how, you know, black psychology students in particular can uniquely contribute to activism, activism, right, is by being people that can authentically integrate those experiences and those, you know, understandings of, of different struggles and different you know, cultures into the, uh, the therapeutic diet. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is so important. And it just shows the importance and the necessity of having black psychiatrists Mm -hmm. and therapists, Um, people who can understand, you know, the other person's lived experience, even if they don't have the exact same identity variables, because, you know, we have to think about the context of intersectionality as well Mm -hmm. Um, but still the importance of black therapists black psychiatrists um, I think it's it's that episode with Reggie showing his basically disdain (laughs) for you know the the typical white male therapist it was really telling Um, and I think that is another hindrance of black individuals, especially young black millennials going to therapy Mm -hmm. because they typically don't see people who look like them. Yes. And, and again, this is, I guess, brings back to, we we touched on it a little bit before, you know, about, uh, you know, why I guess, you know, psychology students should engage in activism. And I think now we're touching more on like the ways in which, right, people can engage Mm -hmm. in activism. And I guess, uh, would you want to speak more to that? Like, how, what are the ways in which, you know, psychology students and black psychology students in particular can contribute to activism within their field? Well, I think one of the first things that they can do is just to become aware, you know, to be informed of what's going on, um, especially when we're talking about black psychology students. So look at the literature, read the literature, um, understand what's going on in the context of um, social justice issues and how that has negative effects on black mental health. Um, Also understand how we can advocate for mental health too, whether it's on a policy level um, as well. And then also, too, another way that we can contribute, obviously, there are, you know, the rallies that we can attend, and um, we can go to the town hall meetings to make our elected officials um, accountable. But other ways, too, they might not be as overt, or they, you know, you might not be right there in the actual trenches. Um, Scholarship, that's another way um, to become an activist. Um, 
scholarship is really important and it's important that we are examining these issues and writing about the issues and writing honestly about the issues. So I think scholarship is another fantastic way that specifically black grad students can become involved. Yeah. And then that's so true. And I guess I would also add that, you know, making sure that the scholarship is is also accessible because yes. You know, there's so often people will publish a paper that could be so important and it's in a, in a journal uh, that costs like $50 to get access to an article. So, yes. you know, once you publish the paper, you'll get your name out there. Maybe also make sure you go back, you know, and talk about the findings, talk about the implications, talk about how important it is, because I think people want to know that people want uh, to have an understanding. And I think we can contribute that uh, as well. Absolutely. Uh yeah, so Janelle, I want to thank you again for being with us. And, you know, is there any, like, lasting message you want to leave, you know, the people with? No pressure. <laughs> well, thank you, Evan, for having me. This has been such a dope experience. I feel like you put me on a very high pedestal, so no pressure for me at all. <laughs> <laughs> By no means am I an expert. But I'm just a young Black grad student who feels very passionately about changing the world, and I decided to help change the world through mental health. And for me personally, um, understanding the psychological issues involved with individuals in the criminal justice system. And so no matter what your own personal story is, no matter how you want to contribute to activism, just feel passionately about it and understand how not only this is going to help the community, to help our country, how it's going to help you and your own personal growth. I know through activism, I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned a lot about where I hope to, where I hope to go in the future and hopefully for you, it will do the same. Wow. And that's Janelle Dixon, future Dr. Janelle Dixon, we're all waiting on that. <laughs> yes, um, hopefully she is. <laughs> the, the Midwest Western Regional Rep, uh, thank you for being on the third episode of Rooted. Thank you for your knowledge and expertise. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that's the third episode. Take care, people. Bye.